We're settling into a jungle cruise and we're setting off some sparks with a suicide squad. I'm Van Connor. And I'm Zara Phelan. And this is Off Screen, your seven day guide to everything movies. Boom. Welcome to Off Screen, your seven-day guide to everything cinematic. As we say, well, unfortunately, Miss Perfect is uh, is taking the opportunity to get some sun this week. Lucky devil. I mean, I wish I'd had the foresight to think to take a holiday during a damn heat wave, but leave it to the aptly named Miss Perfect to think of, of that one. But thank you, Miss Phelan, for uh, for stepping in and keeping us company this week. As ever, we need we need movies more than more than ever. I think now that the weather is driving us all inside to the nearest air conditioning unit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, apart from right now, where it's, you know, of course, it's England, it's raining. <laughs> I know, I know, it's hell, isn't it? But, yeah. alas, there are films that we can enjoy in in nicely air-conditioned cinemas this weekend. There are films we can watch on streaming at home. There's even a movie in which you can do both, really, if you want to. Or if you're American, there's two that you can do both, too. Because <laughs> I don't know why, but... Oh, actually, no, not for another couple of weeks, because Suicide Squad's... Oh, is it the 16th in the US? I think it's the yeah, it's a couple of, no, I think it's a week later, actually. A week later. But they get yeah. it on HBO Max the same day, I think, as, as well. But let's yeah. talk about one. This this is a wacky one. I kept hearing about this online uh, starting about six weeks ago, and it's been building and building and building, and now it's here. So The Sparks Brothers is out. And this was advertised as the new Edgar Wright movie, which kind of confused me, because I thought we were getting, like, is it The Last Night in Soho? Yeah, movie is, yeah. Uh, his next one but uh, yes this is a documentary he's made he's pulled a Scorsese on us so it's not really one of his films but it is a documentary by him so it technically counts in the pantheon you know, it's, it's kind of like if, if Tarantino went off and did a Motley Crue documentary you know just, just for kicks does it count as a Tarantino film anyway so this is the story of Sparks who are a band it turns out I know but I didn't know I knew do you know Sparks? I have no idea who they are no, no idea not, not really because you, you're not really a glam rock you have some glam rock tendencies, but not all of them. Yeah, not all of them. No, I don't no. Because are you, are you ambivalent? I'm trying to remember if you're you're ambivalent on Bowie, aren't you? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's fair. That's fair. If you, I, I don't imagine then Sparks would appeal to you if you weren't a Bowie <laughs> person, for instance. Well, it's Edgar so they Wright are. As well, and I'm not a fan of Edgar Wright either. Well, there you go. See, so this movie's not not really one that you're going to be flocking to see. However, I do think you might enjoy. So it is the story of of Sparks, the uh, glam rock band, sort of spun out of the the sixties and had been going for fifty years. And they sort of met. Oh, I think I never met at film school. So there's always this cinematic art, performance art sort of infusion with their work that's always experimental and always wacky and a bit out there. And they've become quite beloved and cherished over these five decades by not only this legion of fans, but also a number of fans within the entertainment industry themselves who all turn up here. And because it's Edgar Wright, you know, writing and directing this, and he does appear, you know, sort of a talking head as well. The talking heads are really eclectic and include people from far-flung American sides, well, also British sides as well. So you get your pal- Patton Oswalt, you get your Fred Armisons, you get your, your Jimmy Fallon types and your music royalties and your Larry Charles and people like that. You also get people like Jonathan Ross. So, <laughs> yeah, all of which come together to form this 50-year chronicle of the greatest band that never made it. Something that's always kind of confounded me in popular music is people's inability to take humor seriously. And I think that's one of the things, like, why a band like Sparks isn't as big as the biggest bands in the world. Because they're funny. You had sense, you had style, you had cash A lot of critics and some fans uh, sometimes denigrate bands that show their sense of humor. Like, oh, it's a comedy band, it's a joke band. I just don't get that. I don't know why it has to be so stinking serious. Right, you just illustrated an amazing point for me there, Zara, because you were dancing along to that. Did you, is that because you knew the track? No, I just, because, I don't know, it just made me want to dance. <laughs> That's it, because they are great tracks. The thing is, I did not realise how many of them I actually knew. Could not have told you a thing about Sparks before I saw this movie. Not a thing. I I quite like them now. Like, I'm a fan of them now. I'm like, this is fun and weird and kooky, and I'm into it. 
And Edgar Wright doing a documentary, you can imagine, you know, going with that concept alone, there's going to be a lot of stylistic, uh, you know, fun being had there. And yes, it does absolutely deliver on that front. It's not quite as out there as his narrative work, as, as Edgar Wright's work on something like Baby Driver or Sean Dead Hot Fuzz, you know, those, those kind of things, where it is all as much style as it is substance. Here, the, the substance is allowed to overtake the style. I would say, but a lot of fun. If you're a fan, it's unmissable. If you're not a fan, though, I would argue, you know what? Give this, give this a look. There's something to it. It's a bit overlong. It's about two hours twenty. It's a bit overlong, but you know what I mean. Yeah, <laughs> if, you, if you can make do with the runtime, you're in for a good time. You know what I mean? It's, it's fun. Mm. Okay, yeah. uh, I think so, I might watch that one. There we are then. See, I, I consider that a win. If I can if I can half convince you, Zara, I'm, I'm calling that a win. <laughs> anyway, it's up to you to convince me now, though, because we have a movie I haven't seen. I'm not seeing this until after this. Um, not only have I not seen it, but it's a DC movie, Zara. So the Suicide Squad, what are my chances here? So first of all, tell me what I'm involved. What is this? What does this involve? All right, okay. Well, it's, it's, if you think it back to the 2016 David Ayer's uh, version. Um, this one blows <laughs> it out. out of the version. <laughs> version. Uh, <laughs> air quotes. Um, <laughs> but I mean, it's a part reimagining and part sequel. Again, you know, we have um, what's her name? Vi- Viola Davis back as Amanda Waller. She gathers together a massive group of what are they? Ex cons, super villains, super villains. They're comic book villains, not super villains, but comic book villains, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. Because I don't really think they've got any powers. Anyway, um, they're all sent to a um, an island called Culta Motis um, to fight off a big greedy corporate government, um, but also come up against a starfish <laughs> alien As- type giant thing that they've got uh, you know which basically uh oh, what's the what's the word they star he, he no i don't think that's his name but he, he spits out um baby starfish which that's star oh, okay okay I, I don't yeah i'm sure i'm sure i'm sure they'll give him a, a funky name or whatever there'll be something they'll they'll pull from mythologies but uh, that star this sounds mental i can't wait 2270 is wide open. Colonel Dispatch, Detachable Kid. I didn't pick the damn team. I mean, any good, this one? Actually, fantastic. Of course, you've got James really? Gunn from Guardians of the Galaxy, who's uh, yeah. you know absolutely bonkers, totally that's, bonkers. Because that's that's what sold me. I think you you've got my interest the minute you've got James Gunn on there. So mm-hmm. it can, if we if we think if we think of Guardians of the Galaxy as a very James Gunn film, and obviously we've seen Bright since as well. How do you think this stacks up? Is, is this? Do you think this has got more personality than Guardians of the Galaxy? Is there more James Gunn to be found in this? There's a lot more James Gunn in this. Um, <laughs> you've got a hell of a lot of violence in there, and not just that, but blood everywhere. It's within the first scene. There's like I I, I lost count at how many people get killed off in the first scene alone. Now that's that's a question I have because this has got a huge cast list, huge yeah. huge cast. List. I mean, the, the first movie had what like six heroes. Like the, yeah. the Suicide Squad were like six people, I think, in the first one, something like mm. that, six or eight, something like that. And now it seems to be kind of like. There's two dozen names on that poster. And a <laughs> hell of a... Every magazine, every limited magazine cover is just the full cast now. So my expectation is that we are looking at a film that seems to start with one team that are like the big names that then get wiped out. That we then, and we do this for gags a couple of times. And then we wind up with a similar setup to the first movie where it's a small core group going on to defeat the big bad and that's Starro I imagine yeah this is basically they're sent in in two teams mm. um, and the first team are I suppose guinea pigs shall we say <laughs> <laughs> um, and then obviously the second team go in it's made up of Harley Quinn you've got Idris Elba as Bloodsport you've got John Cena as Peter yeah so, so the first so the first team with the red shirts then from what you're pitching there because if you're putting all the big names <laughs> in team two that first team are totally going to be red shirts aren't they oh, yeah, so um, that first team does include Michael Rooker uh, uh, no, no, Michael Rooker is always a red shirt. 
Like, if, especially if it's a James Gunn it's, movie. Michael, Michael Rook is a red. <laughs> <laughs> so go on then. Any any favourite characters in this one? Any, who, who's got the best? Who's got the best best performance? Who's got the best character? Uh, okay, Harley Quinn has wins this one completely. Yeah. It's her Still. movie. Yeah. Um, you see a, a different side to Harley this time round. Uh, mm. She gets. Let's just say she's more badass than all of the men put together. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> is there a uh, of interest? Is there a, an acknowledgement? There. Oh, oh, a love interest as well. I mean, I was just asking, is there an acknowledgement of uh, Birds of Prey having happened or those events or anything like that? No, no. Not, none of they're not being stringent with it. No, nothing like that comes up at all. But it is her movie. And there is one scene that it, it still gets me now. And I had the press conference as well when it got everybody on the press conference. And there is a oh, scene yeah. of John Cena in his oh, tighty yeah. whiteies. Yeah, and yeah. you'll look at him completely differently. Oh, a bit more John Cena him, huh? I get it, I get it. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, you, so I mean, uh, yeah. John Cena, John Cena aside, you'd recommend then The Suicide Squad? You, you think, this you think is my film of the week, actually. It's just absolutely huh? bonkers, hilarious, and it's totally insane. I heard it here first. I'm going into a DC movie with high expectations. Welcome back to Off Screen and sticking with the new releases for this week. Well, Miss Phelan, let's go to Mars. Did you have the pleasure of watching Settlers this week? I did. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm guessing pleasure is the word pleasure is doing a lot of heavy lifting, I think, from your reaction. Yeah, I was just so bored. <laughs> I, I ended up playing with my phone for half of it. <laughs> <laughs> Which is interesting because this is like a 90 minute film. <laughs> it's quite a short one. Yeah, Minute mark. I was like, oh. uh, yeah, yeah. Okay, so let's let's we'll give it his due though, because I do have similar gripes and uh, you know opposing uh, uh, opposing compliments to to offer up. So uh, this is a new movie from writer director Wyatt Rockefeller. Now there's a guy who, when his parents named him, knew he was going into the entertainment industry because you sure as hell would not name your son Wyatt Rockefeller if he was going to work at Greg's. Anyway, so. <laughs> This stars Johnny Lee Miller. Johnny Lee Miller is arguably the name star of this, and he's not really in it past the first 10 minutes. Johnny Lee Miller and Sophia Batella are a a, a married couple on colonial Mars. They're in a remote sort of, like a farm setup, in in a remote corner of Mars, desert-based Mars, and uh, they are besieged by bandits who kill Lee Miller and leave Sophia Batella and their daughter... Uh, on this Martian ranch, as it were, under the armed auspices of a previous tenant, or the son of the previous tenants, played by Ismail Cordova. I've got a question to ask you about Ismail Cordova afterwards as well. You're going okay. to love this one. Um, who says to them, look, I understand, you know, this is, this is the world we live in. Times are harsh. We're all in this for survival. This was my home. You know, I think you killed my parents. But at the same time, I don't want to be here on my own. So give me 30 days... To, to win you over and and we'll do a bit of a Beauty and the Beast trade you know if you give me a month and I win you over we'll, we'll keep going at this if not yeah you're free to go that's Ursa Major very good how about the big W there Cassiopeia yeah and how about that big bright one that's a planet very good Jupiter no, Jupiter, we can't see right now. What's that smaller body just off it? You see that? A moon. Yeah. Is it Earth? Very good. Yeah, the the snoozing, uh, the snoozing imitation you were doing there, Zara, makes all the sense in the world. It's not the most entertaining. But that's Johnny Lee Miller and uh, the younger form of the daughter, because this takes place over two time periods. It's Brooklyn Prince as the younger incarnation of the daughter. Remember from uh, the Florida Project? Yeah, how you done? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair, that's fair, that's fair. That's another one of those movies that you're like, I respect this, I don't like it. Yeah. But, yeah, this this is, I mean, to be fair, this has a very similar thing, I respect this, I don't like it. Mm-hmm. And the, like, the performances are, like, good, but the material isn't. Yeah. And that's, that's the because I can't fault there. the actors. Yeah. yeah. Question for you. I mean, okay, I'll, 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 I'll talk about the production first, then ask the question. So the production of this looks incredible, though. 
it looks very lovely. I mean, the set design, production design, the cinematography of it looks incredible. They've got the mood, they've got the tone. <clears throat> they've just not got the scripts. I mean, yeah, good I mean, that, look. The, the farm set up and everything actually reminded me a little bit mm. of Martian. There is that going for it, and I think yeah. I'd like. I mean, it does have something of that Western frontier appeal, which Mars naturally lends itself to, like, like you say, with the Martian. And this does have. You could have made this as a Western just as easily. I mean, there's, there's you know, the only reason to do it as the science fiction is for the aesthetic value of it, because there's no real science fiction in this beyond no. the initial setup. And yeah. the problem is, once you get to the story of it, there's not an awful lot there. It is. Spread really far and thin. Yeah, but like I say, performances. Yeah, I mean it's all right. But yeah, like you said, <laughs> there was. It was just a story. It was just there was no any twists or anything else that was happening. And like you said, it was just it was too uh, stretched out for my liking. I was like, nah, mate, you got to put something else this, in there. Yeah, it feels like there is a really good forty-minute short film in this. Yes. that I don't think should have been stretched out to a narrative feature. I will ask you this, though. Is- Ismail Cordova, uh-huh. right, who, plays, uh, who plays Jerry, the, uh, yeah. you know, the the guy who takes them. Right, okay, first of all, the look on your face tells me a very certain impression you have of, of this gentleman. <laughs> um, does he... Is it just me? Do, he reminded me so much of... <clears throat> do My you remember goodness. a few years ago... No, do you remember a few years ago we had The Sexy Convict? Do you remember no. this? This was a meme a few years ago out of the US where I think he was like a Florida... Yes. Yeah, yes. do you not think? like If they ever yeah. make a movie about that guy, somebody needs to call Ismail Cordova like first thing. Yeah, it's the eyes. It's, it's the eyes. eyes. It's totally the eyes. It's the yeah. eyes, but it's also that, it's that glare. That's what it yeah. is. But uh, <clears throat> yeah, Ismail Cordova as the sexy convict. That's our big takeaway from Settlers, <laughs> which I thought was otherwise... I mean... Good to look at, but not much to sit through. Yeah, no, I wouldn't even say that much, but hey. <laughs> yeah. Let's that talk about one we did sit through together, though, this this last week, uh, because we, we had the pleasure of going to see Jungle Cruise together, you and I, which, you know, Dwayne Johnson's back, Emily Blunt's back. I mean, I, I always enjoy seeing Emily Blunt, a big blockbuster. Uh, this is coming to uh, cinemas and Disney Plus premiere access from today. This is kind of the big, romping summer, summer adventure movie, the latest adaptation of a Disneyland theme park ride, mm-hmm. because... In previous years, we've had such success stories as Pirates of the Caribbean and Tomorrowland and <laughs> the Haunted Mansion. Uh, yeah, maybe yeah. we should skip Space Mountain. Just a thought. Maybe we skip Space Mountain. <laughs> let's let's leave the mountain out of this. This this is this process is not going well. Anyway, Jungle Cruise, which was always sort of built on sort of dad humor. Anyway, uh, basically sees the the sees the Rock, the former Rock, as uh, as as the skipper, isn't he? Frank the skipper, isn't he? He's yeah. the commander, the captain of you know a jungle boat in 1916 Brazil. Takes on a passenger, Emily Blunt, Lily Horton, a sort of outcast, looked down upon, misogynized uh, female scientist, a botanist who's in search of the tree of life. Which can cure all ailments. She's bringing her uh, her haphazard slapstick brother Jack Whitehall along for the ride. Does he have a personality? No, but there is a line of dialogue in which they just casually, in a very easy-to-edit-out way, insert that he's gay, and that's his entire reason <laughs> for being there. Anyway, it's a remake of The Mummy by way of Romancing the Stone and, weirdly, the first Pirates of the Caribbean movie and a live-action Moana. But, yeah, okay. My name is Dr. Lily Houghton. My brother and I are looking for passage upriver. What's out there in the jungle? It's not a fun vacation. Well, I'm not here for a vacation. Legend has it that there is a tree that possesses unparalleled healing power. It will change medicine forever. And you need someone to help you find it. Here we go. Sometimes it just needs a bit of a... Nobody touches my engine but me. What did I just... There you go. We're gonna do this together. Haven't you been dreaming about adventure? She was always chasing after some far-fetched idea. So I gotta ask then, how, how did you find Jungle Cruise then, Miss Phelan? Um, actually, left me a little bit jaded, to be honest. I mean, you've got some ex- exciting bits in there, you know, mm. when they're going across the rapids, and you know, when it comes to the action, it, it, it's quite a bit of you know excitement there, so, but. 
the bits that presumably would have come from the theme park right there. Yeah, pretty much, yeah. That's good to know. You were saying about Jack Whitehall. I actually really liked him. And I don't do Jack Whitehall. <laughs> and I, I thought think, he was I the funniest think, character there. I mean, he's he's giving good John Hanna. Let's give him that. I mean, he is he's he's absolutely there to be John Hanna from The Mummy because, yeah. you know, the movie is The Mummy. It's just, you know, I mean, instead of actually having a mummy, they've just got Barbosa from Pirates of the Caribbean. Literally yeah. gone and gotten a version of Barbosa slash Davy Jones slash Salazar slash insert pirates villain here to be the black bit, whichever bloody pirates exactly. villain. And then you've got one thing I wasn't expecting because it's not in the marketing actually is actually how much they lean on the romance on the chemistry side of this yeah. to the point where it's, it's quite brazen. It's less romancing the stone than it is just mercilessly hitting on the rock. So that made me feel really awkward though. I it didn't feel right. It was like is it because he seems so much older than her? Is that what it is? I don't, well. Yeah, I and, don't know. And it's, that's I without getting into spoilers, by the way. <laughs> yeah. I, I I just never seen Johnson as a romance kind of guy, I suppose, and it just feels a bit wrong. <laughs> you know why you don't? Is because I think Dwayne Johnson has always been very progressive in, in his movies that he produces and leads. He's always yeah. been very progressive in two ways when it comes to his female leads. One... He's never really forced the crowbarring in of the leading man romance thing. It's not like if Bruce Willis is doing it. Oh, Bruce has got to get the girl. Doesn't matter that she's 19 and he's 58. But, you know, it's always yeah. the way with, with Bruce. The other thing is that, and this touches on that point as well, Dwayne Johnson has always cast actresses of comparable ages to himself. They never have to be 25. This is not Tom Cruise has to go and get whichever <laughs> nameless blonde is in a network sitcom this week to be the female lead in American Made. Can't even remember her name. I think it was Sarah something or other. You'll never see her in another, another thing again. Who's the Annabelle Annabeth chick from The Mummy? You're never going to see her again, but it yeah. doesn't matter because she's 28 and beautiful and Tom Cruise <laughs> wanted her to be his female lead that week. You don't get that with DJ. Oh, no. You get, find me someone who's 45. I need someone, minimum 45. Naomi Harris, get me Naomi. Is Naomi she, oh, she's 46. Do you know what? We'll take, we'll take her. She's close enough to... She's at the bottom of the spectrum. We want older than 40. Fine, we'll take 46. Bring her on board as well. I love Dwayne Johnson for that. It's something I really yeah. respect about. So do you know what? I'm, I'm inclined to like let him have this one for the crowbarred in romance, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, I, I, don't, uh, I don't think it actually needs it, though. I think it, it, it doesn't runs need it. Time without it. It feels like it's there because these kinds of movies always used to have that, and it's like tradition. Yeah, and like I don't romancing the stone thing. anymore because it just it did feel forced and it just felt like plugged in. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I'd say I mean, it's obvious templates. I mean, it's obviously working to I think the mummy in 1999 yeah. is the obvious big template. Beyond that is Pirates of the Caribbean, and then there is sort of a weirdly shoved in Moana element, which I don't really <laughs> yeah. want to get into for spoiler reasons. But I, I will just say, like, <clears throat> I understand how certain people can make the same movie effectively multiple times. It's different if you're the star of it, though. I like to think you'd notice. But anyway, neither here nor there. The point is, if I'm going to slate Jungle Cruise or anything, it's that it's a little bit underwhelming because it relies too much on the movies it's attempting to imitate. It's more about yeah. reverence than it is homage, and I find yeah. that problematic. Other than that, a lot of it was very perfunctory. I did think, though, Jesse Plemons as, the, as one of the villains, absolutely terrific. Scene sealer. Jesse Plemons as a mad German for every movie ever. Please. <laughs> I totally agree. He was just yeah. fantastic. <laughs> this is game night, Jesse Plemons, is what this is. Yeah. This is game night in German for Jesse Plemons. Love it. <laughs> Boom. Just, uh, does, is he worth them doing a franchise out of this just to give us more Jesse Plemons as mad German game night? Welcome back to Off Screen and taking you from the multiplex chair to the comfort of your couch. We're going to do some movies on Freeview for the next seven days. And do you know, since you know you don't get to join us that often, Zara, we thought we'd mm -hmm. you know let you do the, the picking this week. So I'm I'm very proud to uh, to announce that you have done all the selections for this week. 
you have you have made all these selections, and uh, that is why <laughs> I, now get, to, yeah, because I now get to name. firmly blame you. Yeah, exactly. So, and, and I say that ahead of revealing that our pick for Saturday, for tomorrow, the thirty first of July, birthday to such greats as Harry Potter and myself. We are we are talking about failure to launch. On five star at two twenty five in the afternoon. Now you said this is a guilty pleasure of yours. I watched yes. this when it came out in two thousand six. I want to say. Now I want to see if I'm remembering this right, and you can correct okay. me and take it away for us because we haven't got a clip. So I'm just going to speak my piece, and then you can confirm or deny, and then please explain and elaborate your opinion on this movie. This is the movie in which Matthew McConaughey is the world's best looking, still at home in his thirties slacker. And Sarah Jessica Parker is a woman hired by his parents, I want to say, to basically charm him into moving in with her, by which point she'll then break up with him after having shown him independence and freedom, but he wisens up to it. Is that right? Yeah, more or less. Yeah, she doesn't actually want to move in with him, but move in together just so he can get to move out of his parents house yeah to inspire independence isn't it? yes yeah right i, I remember that uh, 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 uh mcconaughey's the lead because this is during that period when mcconaughey only made this movie over and over again like yeah he was, was the rom-com king yeah he, <laughs> he, he was it's got it's, it's got a white poster and i am leaning yes you know what i mean it's it's <laughs> the, the white leaning poster <laughs> that they all they, they all go through a phase. Gerard Butler did about four of them. The white leaning poster. You've got to do the white leaning poster. White yeah. space. We are leaning. What are we leaning on? We don't know because there's nothing in the white space to lean on. But we are leaning anyway. <laughs> don't know what it yeah. is. Every time I see a white space, I just want to lean anyway. <laughs> so, is this the one that has Bradley Cooper in it? It does. It As his bestie. That's one of his best friends, yes, um, who's he's quite a hippie in it. Yes. Now, the reason I ask this because she has a bestie as well, and I can't remember. Is this the one in which either it's Kristen Ritter, a.k.a. Jessica Jones, or Zoe Deschanel, a.k.a. Jessica Newgill? It is Zoe Deschanel. There is another one that's Kristen Ritter. It might be She's Out of My League, I'm thinking of, which was, again, a white-leaning poster. <laughs> so you can see why I get confused in all these things. Why do you love this? Why is this a guilty pleasure? Why do you love this? Oh, I don't know. I just think it's a lot of fun, to be honest. It's mm. it's um, you know, it was round about that period where you know a lot of men don't like to move out of home because mummy takes care of all his washing and do- doing his uh, making his food and cleaning his room and. Wait, wait, I'm at home thing. because of the pandemic. Thank you. I'll have you know. <laughs> I wasn't, I wasn't uh, insinuating it was you. <laughs> Um, but there was, I know, there's a lot of chemistry between those two as well, and mm. it's, it, I do think it's actually really quite funny. And there's also yeah. a scene with, you know, with Matthew McConaughey, Bradley Cooper, and his other best mate as well, which I can't remember his name. Uh, but anyway, they, um, it, it's all to do because Chip, he's keeping hold of his emotions because he once had a girlfriend who died. Basically, that's the story, isn't it? That's the sort of tragic backstory, isn't it? Yeah, and Bradley Cooper's character thinks that you know it's nature going against him because he gets bitten by a chipmunk, he gets bitten by a dolphin, and dragged miles away. Um, Remember the days when rom coms did things like that? They always had to have a cute animal in there, like Good Luck Chuck did penguins with Jessica Alba. (laughs) Yeah, and of course, Sarah Jessica Parker, she's the perfect girlfriend. She loves going to the baseball, she knows all about sailing. uh, They even do paintball together. It's just, you know, and she manages to win the paintball uh, contest. It's just a lot of fun, whimsical fun. Well, yeah. I mean, it's all clear, Fish, because I refuse to believe that Sarah Jessica Parker knows what any of those things are, except possibly for (laughs) sailing. But uh, anyway, so, I mean, I'll tell you what, I will revisit it and I will, will, you know, I will reassess based on your your glowing recommendation. I find every now and again it's good to do that with these things. And this is 2.25 in the afternoon. You know, not yeah, much I it's on most weekends, to be fair. <laughs> yeah, I'll whack this on and have a nap, you know, on the couch. It seems like a good time. What have we got then for uh, for Sunday? I mean, I'm giving you I'm giving you the benefit of the doubt on failure to launch then. Oh, you've got a classic for us for Sunday, though. 2.50 on Great Moves. This is a great one for a Sunday afternoon. Ferris Bueller's Day Off. It's, it's, it's the greatest school skive 
anyone's ever undertaken. Do we even need to, don't we even need a plot synopsis for this Matthew Broderick class? I mean, we just had Sarah Jessica Parker, let's have, you know, a younger iteration of her husband <laughs> on the following day. I, I don't think we need to even go into the plot of this. What happens when the coolest kid in school skives for the day? Skives with just the hottest girl in school, that is. And, well, speaking of school. Anderson? Anderson? Here! Bueller? 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 Um, he's sick. My best friend's sister's boyfriend's brother's girlfriend heard from this guy who knows this kid is going with the girl who saw Ferris pass out at 31 Flavors last night. I guess it's pretty serious. Thank you, Simone. No problem whatsoever. Fry. Fry. Genuine thing. You know the girl, the girl that speaks just then, the actress who says, I think he's sick or whatever. Do you know who that actually is? No. That is the original Buffy the Vampire Slayer. <laughs> that Blimey. is... Uh, yeah, that is Christy Swanson. That is Christy Swanson, the very first, who starred in the Buffy the Vampire Slayer movie with uh, your man Luke Perry there as the original Buffy love interest. But okay. amazing the crap that fits in my head. My one thing I always remember about Ferris Bueller is my very favourite scene in which goddess Jennifer Grey... Oh, God, I fancy Jennifer Grey. <laughs> goddess Jennifer Grey is in the police station and she has that scene with the full-blown bad boy mode Charlie Sheen. I mean, yeah. Charlie she really leans into his future bad boy creds with this one. I feel like he was... At the time, he was writing a check he couldn't cash. Now he's taken that all the way to the bank. <laughs> Exactly. No, my favourite yeah. scene has to be with the car and uh, oh, yeah. his best mate Cameron, Alan Ruck. He's he's just distraught when it goes through the window. Oh, it's just a perfect image. <laughs> no, it's a good one. It's a classic. Good old Ferris Bueller. Two fifty great movies on Sunday afternoon. Uh, one we've not got a clip for then. Monday night, eleven twenty-five on Film Four. Uh, I think is a cultural touchstone for, for me personally. The classic East is East. Absolutely unmissable seventies set comedy uh, with Ampuri, Jimmy Mystery. Just a great, very funny film. That one that I think has a story that you don't really encounter every day because it is about you know mixed families about blended families about asian british families coming out of the 70s that first generation of uh, that first generation post the first wave of uh, british immigrants from the 50s and 60s which is a very interesting setting for a, a cultural rom-com of all things more more calm than rock yeah, but there's also that element of drama in there as well. There when, is. You know, there's kitchen movies. sink drama, isn't it? Yeah, very yeah. Kenlochian <laughs> drama. <laughs> yeah, of course, because, you know, he's he, he beats on the mother when she doesn't do what yeah, she wants. Yeah. This is disowns his gay son. Mm, yeah. Oh, he did, didn't he? Yeah. On, yeah. on then to one I know uh, also contains a bit of drama, but more comedy, and I know you're a fan of, so I know damn well why you picked this one. <laughs> 6.55 on Tuesday, film four. It's Hugh Jackman. It's Taron Edgerton. It's Dexter Fletcher directing. Dexter! I, I know you, because you're, you're a big fan of Dex, aren't you? But, uh, I am. I, Eddie the Eagle, this is one... I mean, Bex picks this one a lot as well, to the extent that we had to stop including it because we just covered it that often. But I, I know that you're such a huge fan. Eddie the Eagle, it's, it's something for everyone, I think, this one, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's a, the perfect underdog story, yeah? It's based on the true story of uh, Eddie the Eagle, you know, the, the British four-eyed... Can I say four-eyed? Uh, Glass-wearing... <laughs> Glass-wearing ski ski jumper who just was never very good but still made it to Olympics and you know he endeared himself to the whole world he did and you know the film's pretty endearing as well I would argue Dexter Fletcher's arguably the perfect director for it and Hugh Jackman very well cast in there as well and Taron Edgerton absolutely nailing it on then yeah. to uh, Wednesday great movies 9pm I mean do you know what I feel like when you call your channel great movies you're, you're kind of you're, you're, you're really writing <laughs> you're a sort of, you're writing a guarantee there aren't you that you you really should be held to by the training standards act thankfully though Wednesday night yeah. Warrior is on so I think that they're doing okay there it's uh, it's uh, Joel Edgerton, not Taron Edgerton this time, it's Joel Edgerton versus Tom Hardy with Dad and Nick Nolte watching the two brothers in the MMA ring. You can trust me, I understand. You spare me the compassion of father routine, Pop. The suit don't fit. Tommy, I'm really trying here. You're trying? Yeah, I'm really trying. Now? Where were you when it mattered? 
I, I needed this guy back when I was a kid. I don't need you now. You know, it's too late now. Everything has already happened. You and Brenda don't seem to understand that. Let me explain something to you, okay? The only thing that I have in common with Brendan Condon is that the pair of us, we have absolutely no use for you. I just realized I said ring when I should have said octagon because it's mixed martial arts. Anyway, always octagon specifically UFC owned. I don't know, but uh, tell, like, I clearly look a lot. I read a lot to this sport, obviously. Uh, anyway, Warrior, it's a good time. It's got Tom Hardy doing that weird pseudo Rocky voice that he doesn't. Oh, no. I don't know why my, my, my voice is so thick. You know? I don't know why I have to talk like this. Like, why this is my American, yeah? <laughs> Why does he do that? Why, Tom? Come on. you got the most badass-sounding, gravelly British voice going. Why does your American accent suck? Anyway, <laughs> on then to another McConaughey movie. We've got two this week. Okay, so let's talk then. White Boy Ricks on Film 4, Thursday night, 9 p.m. Go on, tell me quickly about White Boy Ricks, because I never got to review this one, because I don't think it was... Was it not press shown, I don't think, was it? Um... I don't know. I interviewed Jan Damage, so maybe not, because I did see it part of mm. the press thing. Um, but this is based on the real life of a teenager, who Richard Wershe, who gets sucked into the drug underworld when he becomes an undercover informant for the FBI. But he oh. becomes so involved in it, you know, and he, he's loving this world of being a drug dealer. And he just basically, the FBI washes their hands of him and leaves him to take the fall. This sounds like American made. It sounds like a very similar setup to, to what, like, because yeah, America was the CIA yeah. and Tom Cruise. Yeah. But I tell you, is, is McConaughey the informant? No, McConaughey is the kid's uh, father. Oh. Very different looking with a mullet, and obviously it's set during the 80s. Uh, it's yeah, I saw he had sort of Florida chic way. thing going on. I love a <laughs> Joe Exotic thing uh, yes, rocking exactly. there. Yeah. It's a redneck, basically. A bit of a redneck. Hang on, that's a thought. Why has no one ever mentioned McConaughey as playing you know, a potential for playing Joe Exotic? That'd be incredible. I mean, we're not going to get Nicolas Cage now. <laughs> well, yeah, obviously. Uh, there's also Jennifer Jason Lee's in there as well. She plays an oh. FBI agent. And Belle Powley as well as, as, as ah, the sister. It's old. It's old. Yeah, say no more. It's old. As soon as you bring the great Belle into this... Then oof, done. I'm done. I'm done. Okay, I'm I'm sold. I'm, I'm gonna have to watch Right Boy, uh, Right Boy, White Boy Rick. Now it's gonna be Right Boy Wick. I think I was gonna say <laughs> no, it's White Boy Rick. Uh, on to Friday, 9 p.m. Film Four. We don't even need to say too much on this. We're just gonna queue it up and play the clip for you before we play out. Uh, Kingsman: The Secret Service on 9 p.m. on Film Four on your Friday night. Who doesn't love a bit of Kingsman? I mean, the sequel sucked, but it's it's a great one. I mean, it's the uh, is it the 14th anniversary of Stardust. This week, which is kind of the first big Matthew Vaughan uh, yeah. movie from 2007. And, you know, that kind of led all the way to this, which has properly, I think Kingsman is the movie which I think is properly solidified. Yeah, um, and Matthew I thought it was a good idea to add this as well, because we've got the prequel coming up in a few months. We have. We've got The King's Man, if it holds yeah. to its fourth, is it its fourth release date now? Yeah, I want to say fourth. It might be fifth, though. Yeah. But we are starting to run the risk of another Black Widow with this one. But, uh, yeah. yeah, so Kingsman, though, the first, and actually, it's always going to be the best in the entry in the Kingsman series, Colin Firth doing what he does. Did you see the film Trading Places? No. How about Nikita? Pretty woman? All right. My point is that the lack of a silver spoon has set you on a certain path, but you needn't stay on it. If you're prepared to adapt and learn, you can transform. Oh, like in My Fair Lady. Oh, I don't full of surprises. Yes, like My Fair Lady. Only in this case, I'm offering you the opportunity to become a Kingsman. A tailor. A Kingsman agent. Like a spy. Of sorts. Interested? You think I've got anything to lose?
Welcome back for one last ride off screen. And well, we're going to take you down the DVD and Blu-ray aisle, which has actually got something new to offer this week, which is nice because I've not been enjoying these like COVID shortages of like <laughs> new DVD and Blu-rays. We've had some weeks, but there's been naff all out, Zara. Naff all. It's been terrible. But you know what? Since we now actually get new movies again, since things are starting to slowly simper back to normal, uh, this week we can say that on DVD and Blu-ray, and presumably on digital and other things, as well, you can pick up first of all Peter Rabbit to The Runaway. Did you did you see this one? No, I didn't see it. Don't want to see this it. Was... Will not see it. I I think if you've ever got a, if you've ever like got babysitting to do or anything like that, and you need like <laughs> just a chance to watch something incredibly sadistic unfold before the the willing face of an innocent child, Peter Rabbit to The Runaway is a fantastic place to go because it is just this romping nuts and bolts exercise of just in how despisable James Corden is, whilst at the same time unfurling this plot about how truly terrible an idea it is to try and exploit Peter Rabbit for money, whilst exploiting Peter Rabbit for money. <laughs> I, I it, it's it's brilliant. I, I mean, on a sadistic level, I think it's fantastic. On a basic film level, I'm like, meh, if I was a kid, I'd probably think this is great. My own nephew thinks this looks like the greatest movie ever. He's obsessed with Peter Rabbit, so... And your nephew is how old? <laughs> Admittedly, he's not three yet, so that there kind of tells go. you where this has been pitched. I will say, though, it's an infinitely... Uh, it's, it's got more to it than the first one. There's actually more of a, an adventure and a film. The first one was like the odd couple on a farm. Yeah. This new one's more like Home Alone 2 on a farm. <laughs> but, but no, Home Alone 2. Home Alone 2 in Gloucester, because they go to the big city in this one. And it's like their version <laughs> oh, of the big yeah, city is right. Gloucester. I'm like, yeah. what, what's your Manhattan? York. But anyway. <laughs> but of course, that's not the only Donald Gleason. I do have a soft spot for Donald. Donald Glaser gets the greatest like freak out moment of his career in this movie. <laughs> There's just a great moment in which he just he just properly he just you know that moment when someone just like sees something shocking and they just deadpan drop everything and just react. Yeah. Donald Gleason gets an all-timer of those well, in okay. this movie. It's just, you don't even see it coming. He just has the girliest <laughs> shriek. I think it's phenomenal. I want to watch the movie again just to see that. I'm gonna, in fact, I'm going to whack it on. I'm going to, I'm going to skip through just to find that moment. But, uh, yeah. Anyway, so uh, on to a slightly more publicised movie on DVD. And mm -hmm. uh, Blu-ray this week. So much so, did kind of win an Oscar. And we've got to talk about Promising Young Woman. Uh, which uh, Emerald Fennell's uh, debut uh, feature starring Kerry Mulligan, uh, Bo Burnham, who's gone on to a whole other level of fame, it seems, in the six months since this finally got released. And uh, like, kind of has an all-star supporting cast of, like, you know, hunky, nice guy next door types from the 2000s, doesn't it? Like, yeah. your Adam Brody type. Adam Brody's literally in this, isn't he? Yes, he is. Adam Brody, McLovin is in this? I want to say McLovin's in this. Uh, <laughs> Uh, Piz from Piz Pez, what was his name? Puz from Veronica Mars is in this. I want to say Pez. I think he's Pez from yeah. Paz. It's, it is a P and a Z in it. That's all I know from Veronica Mars. He's in this. And of course, it's the story of uh, a mysteriously outcast and jaded woman who seemingly had all the potential in the world, played by Carrie Mulligan, who has now dedicated her life to this strange, mysterious crusade of hiking up into bars late at night, pretending to be drunk, going home with nefarious young men, waiting, them, waiting for them to try and exploit the nice situation. Guys. Nice guys. Only to then turn the tables upon them. I think you should go. But a second ago, you were determined for me to stay. You were pretty insistent, actually. I'm a nice guy. Are you? I thought we had a connection, I guess. A connection? Okay. What do I do for a living? Sorry, maybe that one's too hard. How old am I? How long have I lived in the city? What are my hobbies? What's my name? Oh, it's a creepy one, that one. I love her in this movie. I think she's absolutely tremendous in it. Um, I think the movie's very good. 
until it's ending. Like, I think it's ending is terrible. Like, I think it's ending. But oh, then again, it, it's a rock and a hard place. Different. It's a rock and a hard place with the ending on this one because there's only two real avenues you can go down with it and neither one especially works. So it is... It, it, it's what do you do? Your hands are kind of tied and you can't really just stop the movie dead. I mean, you could. But yeah, I mean, I wasn't no really... I didn't really go into this expecting much. I thought, oh, it's going to be another one of those feminist type movies. But it was actually really good. And, you know, like I said, it, it goes in places that you don't expect mm. that kind of film to go to. I don't want to give anything away. <laughs> it, the, the, and, and a lot of the success of it is there's so many subtle ways that it, not even, not even its marketing campaign, but it as an entity on its own, as a solitary mm. film, does set itself up for going into far more horror-based territory. Like yes. early on, we see a sequence in which apropos of just a scene that's been taking place before, which I think might be that scene we've just had, or might mm. be the Adam Brody one. There's a similar scene with Adam Brody, similar to yeah. clip, in which we then cut to her walking down the street doing the sort of the walk of shame the following morning, mm. eating a burger, but there is red all down her. And yeah. you're left with that interpretation. Do I take that as she's just a messy eater? Or do I take that as it is gore? <laughs> and the film very cleverly keeps positioning that way. Yeah. which I think then sets up this problem with the ending where there's only two possible endings and no matter which one you do, it's do you want to do the one? And, and both endings trace back to that burger as well. Yes. Both yeah. endings ask the question, was that blood or was it ketchup? Yeah. And, and you've got a ketchup ending and a blood ending. Yeah. And we get, the ketchup, we get the ketchup ending, don't get me wrong. The problem is it's exactly as sugary and artificial as actual ketchup is. So... <laughs> You, you oh, know I what I mean? Enjoyed the ending, sorry. I'll have to disagree on that one. That's that's fair, but that's the thing, is it? Because it's, it's a discussion that I think everyone has with this film. I think if you talk to anyone about Promising Young Woman, I think yes. that's something that comes up very quickly is, did you like the ending? Yeah, definitely. Uh, so there's that. Anyway, over to streaming then for the week. We've got uh, two. One I haven't seen, I thought you might have, and I thought I'd ask you about this. So on Netflix from Monday is uh, The Mule from Warner Brothers, Kevin, uh, Kevin, Kevin Costner, Clint Eastwood one. You've never seen this one. But he's the aged drug mule. Who no, I haven't, I haven't, I haven't managed Cartel. to see this one yet. Came out quite quietly, this one, didn't it? You were like, oh, it's a Clint one. This is presumably an awards contender. And then you came out and came out and you were like, no, I guess it wasn't. So, okay. <laughs> guess we don't have to make... <laughs> I think I've got an awards screener for this that I've just never watched. Okay. It, it was just obvious that it wasn't going to get nominated for anything. So I was like, what's the need to watch the screen? For yeah. The film got released. We didn't review it. I'm not going to watch the screener for nothing because it's not going to get nominated for anything. But yeah. uh, you know what? It, it, it's going to be on Netflix on Monday. So I'm going to check this out. I'm expecting, you know, the usual Clint Eastwood, highbrow, Regency level, American Regency, as I call it, American Regency drama. Usual kind of thing where they gave him 90 million, he spent 30 and pocketed 60. You know, the usual Clint Eastwood uh, retirement effort. Yeah. But, uh, it's it's a funny release date on a Monday. It's weird. It's usually Fridays. Well, now streaming's all over the place, to be fair. When it's, when it's streaming, they don't, unless it's... Uh, unless it's their own content, unless it's the Netflix original. Netflix originals do stick oh, to sort yeah, of theatrical okay. releases generally. Uh, Disney Plus recently moved their drops to, to Wednesday. Yeah, yeah. From, from Friday. They started that with Loki. Speaking of Disney Plus, though, Friday the 6th, movie I adore, and i got to love them for this because they keep making themselves the essential streaming platform. They're adding one of my all-time very favouritist comedies, it is, I want to say, 1992's My Cousin Vinny. It might be 93. I, I was 9 or 10 when this came out, and I loved it even then. My Cousin Vinny, starring Joe Pesci and Marissa Tomei. And this is the movie that absolutely began my unending love affair with Marissa Tomei. And to a lesser extent, Joe Pesci as well. Because <laughs> it was weird that he literally went from like, was it Goodfellas, Home Alone, this. That guy had a weird career path. Oh no, hang on, no, is it Goodfellas, Home Alone, Lethal Weapon 3, this, I think. Yeah. Such a very yeah. strange career trajectory. And he is Vincent Gambini. He is effectively a mobloid. He's like a low-level Italian-American family, sort of 
crime adjacent mm. taken he recently taken the bar exam lawyer he's the lawyer in the family who gets called up when when a post karate kid trilogy ralph Macchio and his buddy are driving to college get pulled over and get mistakenly arrested and put on trial for robbing a convenience store and murdering the clerk the only thing is you get what you pay for and well vincent's family so they're not exactly paying him. When you viewed the defendants walking from their car into the sack of suds, what angle was your point of view? They was kind of walking toward me when they entered the store. And when they left, what angle was your point of view? They was kind of walking away from me. So would you say you got a better shot at them going in and not so much coming out? You could say that. I did say that. Would you say that? Yeah. Is it possible... The two youths. Uh, uh, to what? Uh, uh, what was that word? Uh, what word? To what? What? Did you say youths? Yeah, two youths. What is a youth? Oh, excuse me, Your Honor. Two youths. I adore him in this movie. He's so, so good, especially with the suit, the ridiculous suit that he has to buy to yeah. go to court. But Marissa Tomei steals this movie, and so much so she won the Oscar for Best Supporting Actress for this, which when you tell someone now, if they don't know it, is mind-blowing. <laughs> it, it, it'd be like giving Margot Robbie a Supporting Actress Oscar for, I don't know, crappy rom-com she did recently but uh, oh no that's unfair she doesn't do crappy rom-coms but uh, Fred Gwynn there the, the the legendary Fred Gwynn as uh, as the judge and uh, oh who is it Perry White from uh, from Lois and Clark I want to say Lane oh. Smith the late great Lane Smith as the prosecuting attorney. Uh, this has just got one of those all, those all-star supporting casts. There's a lot of people in this where you don't know their names. You're like, oh my God, it's insert character name from thing I loved as a child. Yeah. Here, you know, it, it, there's a lot of that going. Oh, it's the you know, it's the company guy from that movie I loved from 1987. Oh, it's it's you know, it's it's Perry White from Lois and Clark, and loads of that going on. Oh, it's Harvey from Entourage. You know, things like that, which is obviously now a very problematic character to talk about because you know, he was named Harvey for a reason. Anyway, yeah. um, but my cousin Vinny, star of the show, obviously. Joe Pesci. Check this. If you've never seen My Cousin Vinny and you have Disney Plus, you it owe it to it. yourself. Yeah, you got to, don't you? Yeah, stream this. Yeah, from Friday, Disney Plus. Don't miss it. So, so good. And also, you'll just be saying utes and grits forever. <laughs> what is a grit? <laughs> also, I, I don't know if I've ever told you this. I have a thing about walking in mud. And I had it before this movie. And every time, I, I don't like walking in mud. It's like I refuse to. I refuse to walk in mud because oh, I always okay. wear immaculately spotless sneakers. So yeah, I, I you don't are. Like, you are a I bit don't like. Pretty. Yeah, I I don't like walking on grass. I despise walking. I refuse to walk on mud. So it has to be the driest <laughs> grass. I won't walk on wet grass. And my cousin Vinny has a sequence in it that has absolutely affirmed that in me forever. But you can you can see that for yourself, Disney Plus, from uh, next Friday, which is I think it's Friday the the sixth, sixth yeah. next week, isn't it, Friday? Yeah. So. Another week of films down, down, done, and dusted. So I thank you, as always, Miss Field, for filling. Have you had a good time? Has it been fun? It's always a pleasure with you, Van. Always. I mean, if you could say it without the gritted teeth, I'd, I'd find it more plausible. <laughs> but, <laughs> but as ever, I, I thank you nonetheless. But uh, alas, that's all we have time uh, for this week. In which case, I've been Van Connor. And I've been Zara Phelan. And we shall return. Mm.